Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Roger. It's good to be with you this morning. A bit of housekeeping as we get underway, which is uh, we often provide uh, notes and somewhere to write notes uh, when we're having our Bible talks together. So there were some of these when you came in, but if you missed one and want one now, just give us a wave and someone will bring it to you. Otherwise, uh, if you can pick them up for your growth groups during the week. Well, rescue stories capture our hearts and minds, don't you think? Uh, When someone's in grave danger and their rescuers move heaven and earth to save them. I was thinking back about some of the great rescue stories that uh, I've witnessed, uh, whether it's Stuart Diver with the Threadbow landslide or the 33 Chilean miners who were rescued. Uh, What about the Beaconsfield mine in Tasmania? or the 12 trapped children in the Thai cave. Now, in each of these, uh, it's easy to see the danger. And as news of the rescue unfolds, how many of us hung on every update? And when it was over, how much joy and elation did we experience? Uh, But as we heard that episode of Jesus and Zacchaeus read out this morning, did you recognise it? Now, I know uh, you may have heard it already before, but what I mean is, did you recognise it as a rescue story? Uh, We might not see the great danger at first. It might not look like those other episodes that I referred to. Likewise, the heroics of the rescuer. But as we immerse ourselves in it today we see it is like no other rescue. And as we hear it this morning, I wonder, I wonder if you realise you're meant to see yourself in it, in Zacchaeus's rescue story, and even more widely in the unfolding rescue that we read in Luke. What he did here for Zacchaeus, Jesus can do for you has done for you. Now, isn't that a challenge and an encouragement to us today? And whatever our situation or experience, right at the moment or collectively, we can be confident that our lives will be transformed when we embrace it, remember it and live by it. We've been reading over uh, Luke chapters 1 to 9, as uh, Peter said, over the last term. And next week, we start our vision series for the three weeks. This week, in the week in between, I thought we'd springboard from uh, where we ended in Luke 9, in Galilee, to the north of Jerusalem, to Jerusalem itself, and what what must happen to Jesus in Jerusalem, front and centre in our minds. Uh, We're going to sail over Luke 10 to 18, uh, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, sometimes called the travel narrative, Uh, but we will come back to that and look at that in more detail next year. But where we're going to land is our reading from 19, 1 to 10, with Jesus virtually on the doorstep of Jerusalem uh, with the riches of this short episode uh, has to reveal to us. Jesus is passing through Jericho. Uh, Jericho is just down the hills. It's 25 kilometres away from Jerusalem. And as he walks through, the camera focuses in on Zacchaeus. Now, 
Uh, if I ever say Zechariah during this sermon, I mean Zacchaeus, but I've been looking at Zechariah all week for a few weeks' time, so just I apologise for that, even if it's happened already and I haven't noticed. Uh, it might seem that Zacchaeus is a pretty normal guy with a pretty normal life. He, he probably thought the same too, but actually Luke wants you and I to see what grave danger he is in. He is in life and death danger. Verse 2. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now on the surface, that doesn't sound like a problem. But there are two signs of the danger he is in. First, he was a tax collector and second, he was wealthy. Now you've probably heard before how people felt about tax collectors in Zacchaeus' day. They despised them. Uh, it's not like that they worked for the ATO, as some among us do. Uh, Zacchaeus and his mates weren't collecting taxes for Israel, but for their Roman conquerors. Uh, these Israelites were considered traitors, and even if they claimed simply to be doing an honest day's work, these were people who, as long as Rome got their cut, could extort their own people to make what they wanted themselves. And so... Zacchaeus was rich. Now, the other thing too is, if you've been reading along in Luke, that's another sign of the grave danger Zacchaeus is in. Because in the chapter before, in verses uh, 24 and 25, Jesus looked at the rich ruler and said to him in a previous episode, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now that's pretty confronting, isn't it? And we too need to realise our riches as we hear it. The summary is wealth makes it next to impossible to enter the kingdom of God. The third sign, the third sign of the danger comes after Jesus speaks to Zacchaeus. I wonder if you saw it there when Jesus invites himself to lunch. Can you imagine, you know, having people over to the house and thinking about what we've got to clean up before they get there? We've all had that experience, haven't we? Imagine what the household thought when Zacchaeus brought Jesus home. Anyway, Zacchaeus welcomes him gladly, uh, but it's the people who are watching on who say in verse 7, the second half, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus was an outcast from his people, estranged and out of relationship with them, but even, and much more seriously, an outcast from God. But as we read this episode, we're not meant to see ourselves, as it were, as the crowd do, on the high moral ground, looking down our noses at Zacchaeus and his guests. Uh, we're meant to see ourselves in Zacchaeus's shoes, because we too are sinners like him and in grave danger. In fact, the whole narrative of God's word in the Bible up till now and in the course of Jesus coming in Luke is that we are in life and death danger ourselves, estranged and out of relationship with God, facing death because of how we view him and treat him and think of ourselves as God in the place of God under the judgment of God. 
And so we need to be saved. The sinners in Luke's gospel, well, it's not a flattering term by the leaders and the crowds who use it, but what they don't see, don't want to see, is that without an incredible rescue, they too are sinners. We all are. But that's why we're here in Luke and in Luke 19. And it doesn't take anything away from the gravity of the threadbow landslide or the the Thai cave rescue, but every single one of us has the opportunity to be counted in this rescue story. And that's because Jesus is here to save us. From the very beginning of Luke, uh, we see God on the front foot. He takes the initiative. When we were powerless, he brings about the birth of Jesus as a human. Jesus, God himself here, is no different. Zacchaeus wanted to see him, but it's Jesus who, as it were, sees Zacchaeus, uh, who addresses him and wants to stay with him and who declares these words when we get to verse 9 and 10, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, Do you remember what we read last week in Luke 9? When he spoke, uh, where Jesus spoke of what must happen when he came to Jerusalem, referring to himself as the Son of Man, as the one promised by God with all authority and rule, Uh, Let me read it to you, reminding you again. And Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed on the third day uh, and on the third day be raised to life. Now with that in mind, have a listen again to Luke 19. Verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus himself is the Son of Man, but putting those two sentences together, how is that it that Jesus saved Zacchaeus? It is through his rejection, death and resurrection. You don't see those things taking place in this passage, but you do not long after. That's how Jesus can declare Zacchaeus was saved, that he'd entered the kingdom of God on this day. And it's extraordinary. Because what we see here is Zacchaeus go from collecting tax debts from others to having Jesus collect Zacchaeus's debt of death and judgment himself. And remember how serious Zacchaeus' situation was. He was lost and needed to be found. Uh, And how just like people today, Zacchaeus is, uh, in our wealth. Uh, And we can imagine we're just getting on with life and not realise the grave danger we're in or the great joy we may experience were we to know and trust God. Because without him... We are lost. We are so lost, we don't know we're lost and need to be found. We need the Son of Man to save us. The thing is, Jesus makes the impossible possible. Even saving we whose wealth 
is greater than Zacchaeus's. And as Jesus stood here on this day, on the very doorstep of Jerusalem, he shows us through Zacchaeus how we should respond to him. Where trusting him will transform us. Now, part of the beauty of this episode, I wonder if you noticed it, and it, it probably shone out a bit compared to reading Psalm 69, is the way it says so much with so few words. Uh, how it holds up Zacchaeus's uh, personal experience with Jesus like a mirror which reflects what we can all experience, each of us personally, with Jesus. But it may leave you wondering, well, what did Jesus say? And we're not told. Although both what he's likely to have said has filled the chapters of Luke before now, is likely to have been gossiped ahead of him as he was heading Jerusalem, which is the reason Zacchaeus was so desperate to see him, that the king of God's kingdom had come. And he himself was the king to come, the long-promised rescuer for sinners. And so Zacchaeus's response on meeting him is telling. It's revealed by his transformation. Having met Jesus, verse 8, he gives half of what he owns to the poor. And he says, if he's cheated anyone, he'll repay four times the amount. Now, a lot of words have been written about Zacchaeus' declaration here of how perhaps if he'd really gone to town ripping off people as a tax collector, this may well have reduced him to nothing. We're not told, though. The key is what he's saying is reflecting the attitude of God. That's the transformation writ large, the same attitude written in God's words and actions, the same concern for people and providing for those who are in need, the same concern for justice and those wronged be compensated. And when you think about it, it makes sense. Isn't the very one he's making the promises to, the Son of Man, who shows the same deep concern for people, for lost people, the Son of Man, who will do what is just by suffering for our sake on the cross. So what is it that saved Zacchaeus? Well, it all too often is confused You see, we keep seeing in the Bible these two things sitting side by side, both God's offer of salvation and the transformation it brings. Uh, It's one of those conversations people therefore end up having because both are here, they're there, they're sort of intermixed together. So you'll hear people ask, well, am I saved by what I do or am I saved by what God does? Uh, Is it one or the other? And the answer is... We are saved by what God does. We are saved by grace, but it will transform us to do the good works God has prepared for us to do. Remember what Jesus said, Zacchaeus was a son of Abraham, and certainly he was by being a descendant of Abraham, but in the coming of Jesus we see with a new clarity all who trust the promises of God as Abraham did are sons and daughters of Abraham, and so together heirs of the kingdom of God. 
So many of us here today have had this same experience as Zacchaeus of meeting Jesus, of being found by him, of being saved by him, and we live with him as our Lord. And as we do that, so we grow like him, like loving and caring for those who are in need and choosing to support and stand with them. Like when we do the wrong thing by someone else, being open and honest about it and willing to repay such a debt. Like learning what others need as God sees their needs and loving them by meeting those needs. Like recognising that no one is too far gone or has done such wrong as to be beyond the saving arms of Jesus. God not only saves us to know him, but he saves us to be like him. Praise God for that. Now, I said earlier I'd come back to uh, some thoughts on why we perhaps love rescue stories. I've got a few thoughts in mind, uh, and I think they apply here uh, in God's great rescue story. And, And the first is that people matter. Uh, We matter to each other, don't we? And while sometimes we take each other for granted, we know a human life is valuable and the death of anyone a tragedy. And that's because we're made in the image of God, valued by God, not made for judgment and death, but made for life with God. Here's another thought about rescue stories. I think when we hear them, We imagine ourselves, and if we were in the same situation, we'd love to think that someone else would rescue us, given the opportunity. Or if we were in their shoes, that we would rescue someone else. But here's my other thought. My other thought on why rescue stories capture our deepest affections, at least for those of us who've now understood the danger we are in. In God's kindness, we may see every other rescue as profoundly as they move us, as but a shadow of the incredible salvation Jesus brings. Seeing the danger and our need to be saved, the concern of and cost of our rescuer, and moved as we are to gratefulness, such gratefulness. Is this rescue story your story? If you haven't yet embraced Jesus' rescue, perhaps the danger uh, is only really dawning on you today uh, as we speak. Maybe you've heard of the danger before but just not got around to do anything about it, not yet grasped hold of the Saviour's hand. There is no wiser response than to trust Jesus today and to have him to have him utter those these incredible words from the heavenly throne today salvation has come to this house because this person too is a son or daughter of Abraham
And when we trust Jesus, and as we trust him, what will that look like for us? Well, this week we've had a telling news story for us to reflect on, uh, an intersection of what we know about Jesus and what Jesus has said to us as we've read the Bible in the past and how it transforms us. Quite extraordinary, actually, that it should happen this week between Luke 9 and here in the good news we hear today. And what I'm talking about is the Andrew Thorburn as CEO of Essendon AFL Club uh, story. Who's heard this story during the week? Yes, okay. Well, then you know the story. He was announced as CEO on Monday. He was pounced on in the media for his connection to a Bible-believing evangelical church straight after. He was judged inappropriate to lead a so-called inclusive organisation and he was gone by dinner on Tuesday. How should we respond to that? With outrage? Perhaps. With fear, it would be very easy to do so. With compliance, wouldn't that save us a whole lot of trouble? If he's had this sort of experience for his Christian convictions, why would we expect any different? We might not be in the media, but... Well, here's how I take it. God's word wants us to respond. In the first place, we're to remember what we've heard today. Uh, Jesus knows our greatest need and has met that need. He came to seek and save we who were lost. He will see us through to the end. We need to remember that. But remember too what Jesus said back in Luke 9 last week. Following Jesus is a choice to lose our lives, to live for him. We're trying to save ourselves, we'll only see us lost to him. When our community or the people you work with or even those you live with, when they treat you poorly because of your convictions about Jesus, and when we find ourselves in conflict with the spirit of our age, this week it was for upholding a man and a woman marriage alone as the only place for sexual intimacy. It was protecting the life of the most vulnerable, the unborn, saying no to abortion. And next time there'll be others as well. We should not be surprised. Uh, they despised, rejected and crucified Jesus for his conviction. Psalm 69, which we heard read, written by David, points us first to Jesus and his experience. And Jesus warns us, in fact, he promises us that we can expect no difference. And so we shouldn't be surprised if this sort of thing happens. But nor should we be afraid. The Lord is more powerful than our community, than our employers, than those we live with. That's not to make light of the pressure people have felt or the choices you've had to make or the costs that have been borne by some of us. Where the hue uh, in Australia, the hue this is taking in general and in Victoria in particular, it hasn't happened overnight, but over decades, if not over a century. 
Nonetheless, whatever our fears, Jesus meets our fears and soothes our fears. Indeed, what we're called on to do is trust Jesus who saves, who has saved us, who will save us, even when our circumstances now try to call that into question. We don't need to protect ourselves at any cost or lash out at others or even scaremonger each other. Nothing we say or do we should allow to be motivated by fear. And so please don't hear me talking about this today as coming from that place. Instead, we should stand together as God's people. We need each other in this church. Andrew Thorburn in his church, each follower of Jesus in their own church. If you feel the temperature rising, I know the temptation is to take a break from church, either because it distances you from the convictions that are coming under fire or because you're under fire and you're worn down and know you have work and family and they're fixed in life and so treat each other and churching as optional. And whether we engage politically or not, and we live in a democracy, and let me remind you, you can be assertive about how you'd like to see our society operate, assertive like every other voter and those of us who can, motivated not by fear but by love of others, I think we should. But it's not policy and politics that will save us either, but the love of God. In Jesus, the Son of God. And so we should and we can act with integrity, consistent with our convictions, established in God's word, not massaging them to make them more acceptable. We can't control how others will respond to us. We never could and we never will be able to it. And I know we don't know the immediate consequences and what they'll be when we stand on this ground, but that is even more reason to live transformed lives in Jesus, the lives he's given us to live in grateful response to him and in order to please him. Finally, we should at this time ever be ready to give the reason for the hope that we have. Now, this is a pretty unusual thing for me to do, uh, to read you a passage that's sort of off, different from the passage we've been looking at as the second last thing I'm going to say. But nonetheless, with Luke 9 and 19 and what's happened this week, which this week is not something new, it's just seeing the tip of the iceberg of something that I know you know has been going on uh, and Jesus told us would go on. But 1 Peter 3 uh, from verse 13 just nails it. I think it would be helped to hear it read again. Hear it read. Peter writes, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. In all this, outrage and fear and compliance are so often so often self-serving rather than Jesus-serving. But when we endure suffering for the name of Jesus, in God's good purposes, it provides opportunity to point others to him, to share the salvation we have received with them so that together we who are lost may have life in him. I'll lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you again for the wonder of all that you have done in Jesus. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that in his coming, as you shine a light on our need, so we see in even greater brightness the incredible goodness of your rescue in him. Help us, we pray, in dependence upon Jesus, uh, to live transformed lives by your spirit at work in us, uh, standing firmly upon your word, loving others and each other, drawing from the deep well with which you have loved us. And by your spirit, we pray, may each of us know you and persevere in you to the very end. We ask in Jesus' name.